panic causes tunnel vision. Calm acceptance of danger allows us to more easily assess the situation and see the options. Simon Sinek everybody and welcome to episode 10 of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia and your host for this podcast. I just want to say at the beginning before we start with our guest that I have created a new Facebook group called Emetophobia No Panic. This is a recovery group for people in recovery or people trying to recover um, where you don't censor any words um, and you're not allowed to, you know, come and ask about, come and panic or ask about what should I do, you know, when I feel sick kind of thing. So if that is the kind of Facebook group you might be interested in joining, it's Emetophobia No Panic. And now on to our guest, Kat from Richmond, Virginia. Hi, Kat. Hi. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, so what's what's it like in in your Richmond? I was just I was telling Kat before I started recording that we're both from Richmond, but she's from Richmond, Virginia. And I'm from Richmond, British Columbia here in Canada. What's what's it like weather wise in your Richmond uh, this time of year? Uh, it's up and down. So we were about 40 degrees, about 50 degrees yesterday. And then today we were at 18 degrees. So it's all over the place. Oh, wow. I don't even know what those numbers mean. So that's okay. Oh. <laughs> Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, Fahrenheit. Um, we, we're at about um, 18 degrees Celsius inside the house. Um, outside, it's maybe six. Zero is freezing. So in in Celsius, so six. And I know it's 32, like a really weird number in yeah. Fahrenheit. So yeah. 40 to 50 is still that's almost the same, right? It's pretty cold. Like yeah, it's cold, it, it but not. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, yeah. there's not, you can't really see your breath, but once it drops right, know, below right. 40s, then yeah. you can start seeing your breath. Yeah. It, it's uh, January, right? The mm -hmm. only good thing about this winter is the Olympics coming up in February. I don't know why, but I just, winter Olympics are my favorite thing to watch on television. I wait. I'm like the soccer fans that wait four years for the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> I, I even take I take time off work usually, and but I won't this year because I can just record and um, yeah. So if you're one of my clients listening, I'm not taking time off. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, so Kat, tell us about um, your emetophobia and kind of the how it started and what it was like for you as a kid. Sure. Um, so. The first record of me having a panic attack was when I was four years old. Um, my mom actually has emetophobia as well. Um, and over the years, I've been trying to figure out if it's something that I've picked up from her. Like, I know the anxiety is real, but the fear of um, being sick, I didn't know if I picked up from her or if it was just genetic. So four years old, I had my first panic attack. I got car sick on a trip between uh, Ohio and Virginia and had my first panic attack then. And then um, 
on and off, I, you know, as a kid, I would get sick every now and then. And I still remember those times getting sick. And I remember the instances and what happened. And that becomes part of my safety and avoidance behaviors because of my past experiences. And then um, I got really bad when I was about 13. I had a really bad, almost 16 hour panic attack to the point where my mom wanted to take me to the hospital, but I was too afraid to get in the car and drive to the hospital. Mm. Um, And then ever since then, it got pretty bad. I got sent to a therapist. I got put on um, anti-anxiety meds, uh, you know, and kind of just struggled my way through that. And around when I graduated, I kind of, it kind of dropped away a little bit. I didn't have it nearly as bad. Uh, And then I went to Haiti on a missions trip in 2018, the very first, it was January of 2018. And uh, when we came back, a few of us, I don't know if we had eaten something or what, but we had lower intestinal distress for two weeks. And I think that kind of knocked down my immune system. And then uh, I ended up getting the stomach bug a couple of months later. And ever since then, my anxiety has been ramped back up to me being like I'm 13 again. So that's where I currently am going to therapy, doing, trying EMDR, uh, all this other stuff to try and get rid of it because, you know, I'm 30 and I'm tired of it. Right. Yes. And that a lot of people can relate to that. I'm quite sure. Well, that sounds, um, sounds pretty awful, actually, you know, starting so young. And um, let's just talk a bit about panic attacks, since you've mentioned them, and one of them was 16 hours long. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's something we've really talked about much on this podcast. Um, other than just to briefly mention them. Um, for what I do with clients when I've, you know, I, I, um, you, you're probably familiar as well, but I familiarize them with the SUD scale, which is subjective units of distress. Some people mm-hmm. call it SUDs. I don't know why I don't like that. <laughs> it's too happy. SUDs are yeah. happy and bubbly. And and SUDs are not. Right. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Anyway, uh, but um, I always describe the scale as zero is no anxiety at all. And 10 is the worst panic possible. And that helps people not to tell me 11 or 12 or something, because 10 is the worst it can get. So I consider 10 a panic attack, which is what people um, pretty much describe to me as as a panic attack um yeah i i think that i don't know my experience was was maybe different than a lot of people's but i would definitely panic (laughs) um and and then i would run away from whatever it was and i could always manage to somehow get away i think so i didn't stay in these panic attacks for a long time can you tell me like when you were if what do you remember from being four years old and having a panic attack? Like what was happening for you? Um, It's actually funny. I don't remember this one. Um, This is my mom told me this is when I had my first panic attack. So I don't, I don't actually remember that one. What does your mom tell you about what you did or Um, how you acted? Yeah. So she said that uh, I got car sick. We stopped at a rest stop 
and um, went into the bathroom and she had said that I was pacing back and forth and wringing my hands and I kept repeating, I don't, can I say throw up? Yeah, you can okay. say, you can say anything. I, I put a general trigger warning okay. on this okay. season. Uh, okay, and great. I find that people that are triggered by words and stories don't listen to a, a podcast anyway. So, it's right. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, so you were saying, I, what were you saying about it? You were, um, so I would pace back and forth, wringing my hands uh-huh. and I would, say, I don't want to throw up. I don't want to throw up. I don't want to throw up to the point where that was all I could say. And if my mom tried to talk to me, I couldn't respond. I would just say, I don't want to throw up. I don't want to throw up. And she couldn't, she said she would like try to hug me and hold me. And I would like freak out and push her away. Um, uh-huh. Again, I yeah. don't remember this. This is just right. what my mom told me. And it sounds exactly like the panic attacks I had as I got older. Right. Yeah. That, especially the repeating of a phrase or words that you can't seem to say anything else, mm-hmm. that that tells me anyway that the cognitive functioning of your brain was shut down. You know, mm-hmm. um, it will significantly slow the more anxious we get, and then it will eventually just stop and you can't think you can't do any, you can't say anything logical, you can't do anything logical. So yeah, that's really interesting. So then when you were 13, uh, tell us about this, what was going on for 16 hours? That's, that's like a whole day. Uh, It was actually overnight. um, And nighttime Mm. is usually when I'm at my worst, even though it's all the time, nighttime is the hardest for me, because it's isolating and you know, right. Um, so this was my first major, major panic attack that I can remember. Um, and I, I don't know what caused it. I know I was getting ready to go on a missions trip with my church to Florida and be away from my mom. And my mom is like my rock. Um, so I think just the anxiety of all of that being in a school where people weren't particularly nice to me cause I was new and, mm. I think just all the stresses of being a 13 year old and new to a a new town and everything was tough. And I just woke up one night thinking that I was going to be sick. And I started pacing in the living room and I went and woke my mom up and she paced with me. And then she sat with me. And again, she's, she has this as well. So she knows what she's dealing with when I have it. Um, Okay. So she just sat there and let me panic. She gave me, I don't know if this is, probably illegal, but this was a long time ago. Um, she gave right. me half of her Xanax to calm me down because I was inconsolable after about okay. six hours. And um, it just, it wouldn't stop and I couldn't shake it. Um, and I've actually had a similar experience recently. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like, it's interesting talking about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was recent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just constant and I couldn't stop. And she kept saying, well, let's go to the hospital. And where we lived, it was probably about 30 minutes to the nearest hospital. Mm. So um, obviously I didn't want to be stuck in a car that I couldn't control and not be able to get out. Um, So it's a lot of the control issues were just hitting. So we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. And she just sat there for hours and hours and hours while I just paced back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And um, I had to go to school the next day and I made it like maybe halfway through the school day and I had to go home because I was about to have another panic attack. And then, just kind of went on from there. Wow. So the pacing, and were you saying anything when you were pacing back and forth? Yeah, um, not the entire time, but I definitely would, you know, yeah. say I didn't. Want, and a lot of it 
I was saying, I don't want to throw up to my mom so that she would say, you're not going to throw up. Like I was saying that to get that reaction because that was, that was soothing to me. Um, Uh When I was a kid, every night I would always always ask my mom, am I going to throw up? And she'd say, no, you're not going to throw up. So it was kind of just like reverting back to that. Right. Yeah. Um, But, and I wring my hands, I grab my neck. um, I kind of like pinch my arms to like, Right. Feel something yeah. else and like ground me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would yeah. like leave bruises on my arms just trying to get back down to earth. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you, do you have any idea what might, I mean, you said you had one recently. So what goes through your mind? Like, what are you thinking or what are you purposely saying to yourself when you're, um, uh, sorry, there's, uh, oh, <laughs> This is the culprit here. There's an Hi. <laughs> adorable little kitten. Yeah, oh my right. Goodness. Yeah. But she's kind of a she's kind of being a brat. So sorry for listeners. Kat and I can see each other. Um <laughs> it's she's an adorable little kitten. Her name is Posy Posborn. No. So yeah. Anyway, back to back to your panic attack. Um, yeah, are you purposely thinking anything in your mind? Are you, is something going through your mind? What can you tell us? This last one was actually really interesting. And like I said, I've had my own personal therapist for about two months now. And um, we've been doing EMDR. And that's the only thing that I can think of that triggered it. Because I was just sitting on my phone and scrolling on Instagram, not thinking anything. And all of a sudden, I've, I've, found a word for it. It's an upheaval feeling that I get. Like mm-hmm. everything in my body is just, it's like an upheaval, like right before okay. you throw up, everything upheaves, but I, it's, it's oh, not right. like getting ready to throw up. It's just my whole body feeling like I'm losing control. And I right. just, I immediately have to get up, run outside. It was really cold. So I was able to like ground myself in the cold. And um, I took a half of Xanax and that didn't work. I took another half of Xanax that didn't work. So I took another half of Xanax and finally I just passed out. Um, But yeah, nothing caused it. It used to be, or it still is, but I don't drink as much anymore. But when I would drink, it always exacerbated my anxiety terribly. Mm -hmm. Um, So this felt like I had been drinking recently and I hadn't. So I don't know what caused it or if it's just the, the treatment I'm doing with my therapist, but yeah, it was pretty rough. Yeah, it can be. EMDR can kind of percolate up a bit during the week, you know, when you're not seeing your therapist. But mm-hmm. so in a sense, it can get a little worse before it gets better, but it, it normally gets better. Yeah. Um, so I just want to get this straight. <clears throat> you You were scrolling through Instagram before the panic attack. So you're not sure what caused it. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Is yes, that what you meant? No yeah. Idea. And and so you ran outside. But what I'm kind of interested in is when you when you're having the panic attack, what are you doing or what are you thinking? Like the doing, I know you're pacing. You're pacing, mm-hmm. you're, you know, wringing your hands or whatever, but what are you thinking? Um, that's a really good question. So lately I I've been I don't know if you've heard of the dare response. Yep. Um mm-hmm. yeah. So I have that app and that has been like a godsend for me. So basically what that talks about is allowing the anxiety in and not fighting it. So I kind of go spaghetti where you, it's like spaghetti is like a limp noodle and you just kind of 
stop fighting. Um, but I have CBT that I've learned over the years. So I go through the facts, you know, I, I didn't eat anything, nothing happened. I, I basically try and talk myself out of it. And then I try and let the anxiety in and then I talk myself out and let the anxiety in. But when that doesn't, I have so many tools in my toolkit and mm-hmm. even listening to the dare app, they have that panic attack one. I'll listen to your podcast. Like there's so many things that I have in my toolkit and none of them were working. And that's when I okay. resort to Xanax. Right. Right. Um, that's interesting. I, I, because what I want to kind of touch on is the fact that you, or maybe before I do that, can you just explain to the listeners what DARE is? Yes. So it's called the DARE response and it's diffuse, allow, run towards and engage. So diffuse Mm -hmm. is to, when that thought comes up, just be like, yeah, whatever, you're not, whatever, or you can cuss it out, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to do. Uh, Allow, that's the biggest one for me. That's just where you allow the anxiety to do what it wants to do and just recognize that it's a nervous energy and it's not, it's not a real threat. You're basically telling your amygdala, like, we know what this is. We survived this before. You're not actually sick or going to die or anything like that. Run towards means welcoming it in and you're like, you know, I'm going to, I want you to do your worst, do what you can, give it 21 seconds to do its worst. And then engage is just to engage your mind in something else. I usually never make it past allow because allow is like the best section for me where it kind of diffuses itself there. And and allow, can you say a little more about what allow means? Yeah. yeah. So um, allow is kind of the go spaghetti where when you feel that anxiety or for me, it's the upheaval. I immediately recognize that this is not actually throw up that's coming up. This is just the nervous energy, the adrenaline, all of this stuff that's being kicked up in me. It's I have to recognize it as a mental thing and not a physical thing and not fight it. So I have to allow it in because typically when I feel it come up, I'm fighting it away and I'm like, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yes, I can. <laughs> um, and I'm Sorry. like allowing it in and trying not to freak out and always fighting it. That. Mm-hmm is what makes it worse because I'm not just letting the energy go through. I'm actively trying to fight it, which is the fight or flight response. So right. yeah, it's, it's literally just allowing it in, welcoming it. And they say, sit it down and serve it tea, you know, and <laughs> just like, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, I have, I read, I thank you for uh, reviewing that for me and, and letting the listeners know. I did read the book uh, about mm-hmm. DARE, um, and it is very similar to um, just act, like act, acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's um, based as well on the current research on exposure therapy for anxiety by, um, Abramowitz and others. Um, and it is that which is also based on a couple of other people, Kraski and Hayes. Anyway, so all of that is to say that the current thinking is not to try to control your anxiety, but to just allow it to be there, notice it. I put that in quotation marks, like notice it. Um, and just let it, let it let it be there, kind of welcome it in, that kind of idea. All of this is great 
and probably all researched and written by people who have never had a panic attack, <laughs> I think, or never had a metaphobia. Anyway, I haven't had a panic yeah. attack for any other reason. But this is what I think, not based on anything but observation with my own clients and so on, is I think when your anxiety gets to a certain height, a certain number, like eight, nine, or 10, that you cannot do any of this stuff. Like you can't, You're, because it's too frightening. And your brain is not in the sort of mode where it wants to learn something new, or it, or it's willing to learn to tolerate, for example, the anxiety. All, all it wants to do is just get out of the situation in any way, shape or form. And so I can sympathize with you like trying your best to think through these thoughts, to listen to an app, to distract yourself, to, you know, do all this stuff. And, and I, it is a cat show in my house now. It's, it's a cat show in my room. Okay. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, there's another cat stalking the kitten. Um, I should really have, I should really do this on YouTube. It'd be a lot of fun. But anyway, back to, I, I really think that these, this theory, which is evidence-based, so I'm not I'm not discounting it, is works great for numbers under seven or under, I mm -hmm. think. And depending, it's a subjective number, so your eight might not be that scary, but my eight is too much to tolerate. So I think there are a number, and what I do with clients is just to teach them to breathe and relax their bodies, like breathe slowly and relax. Um, and by teaching them, I mean, I have them practice it every day for like 90 days, you know, listening to a recording for a 20 minute recording so that you get really good at it so that you can use it when the time comes, you know, you can um, access it when, when things are going badly, like when you're panicking. Um, and so I think when the numbers are high like that, that controlling your anxiety is really the only option, like bringing it down to a number that you can tolerate. You know, if you can bring it down to seven, that doesn't feel very good, but you can usually cope with it. You can usually just kind of say, okay, well, here it is. It's seven out of 10 now. You know, I can just leave it alone and not do anything and not think anything, not try to control it. Um, and then it's going to, eventually not want to come back. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you'll, over time you have, if you can tolerate it, the highest number you can tolerate is what you should tolerate. And, and then eventually it'll stop showing up because the amygdala, as you mentioned before, the reptilian part of your brain that just has one signal danger, you're going to die. You know, that's all it knows. Um, you, it, it will eventually go, oh, well, she's not doing anything. She's not saying anything to herself. She's not going through a list of what did I eat? And I probably, I felt like this two weeks ago and I didn't throw up and she's not doing anything. She's just sitting there. So I guess it's not a threat. You know, that's what will fix it in the end. But given that, I don't think it works at super high numbers. I know that when I was emetophobic, if someone had told me to notice my anxiety, I would have laughed in their face because he couldn't not notice it. Mm -hmm. It was completely overtaking my entire being. 
How could you not notice it? Secondly, just leave it alone. What? <laughs> no. Yeah. Like stay in the situation. Don't run down the street. No. What are your other tips? You know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what do you think about all that that I just said? Yeah. Um, 100%. Like I said, when I was about to have a panic attack, nothing was working. Um, right. And I, I don't know if it was just because I was already so ramped up that my body just couldn't calm down. But in those moments, so actually, let me say it this way. The DARE response works for me when I do have low anxiety so or right. lower. So when I have a stimulant, something triggers me or whatever, I can use that and it does help me. But yes, when I get above, when I get around nine, eight, nine and ten, that's when medicine typically is the only thing that's going to get me out of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you know that, I don't think there's, I mean, that's what Xanax is for. It's for occasional use. It's mm -hmm. a rescue remedy. So whatever the maximum amount your doctor allows you to take on a prescription is what you should take immediately. Honestly, like there's no point in trying to take a half or, you know, really, because it 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 won't work, as yeah. you've seen uh, kind of a, a few times over. And we all feel like we should be more stoic. You know, we should be tougher. And maybe I can just do this with a half a Xanax. Well, you know, that there's there's no reason to this is like I said, you're being told by your brain that you're about to die. And even though the front of your brain knows you're not gonna die, the back of your brain doesn't know you're not gonna die. So it's telling your body that you're gonna die. It's just incredibly frightening mm -hmm. um, to panic at that level. So, well, good for you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your therapy? And oh, I mean, you've, you've, have you only done EMDR or are there other things your therapist has in mind? Um, I've actually been through a lot of therapists because I, I've realized that going to a therapist strictly for anxiety is not enough because I'm not saying that anxiety isn't bad, but a metaphobia, it's like, I don't remember if I heard this from you or somewhere else, but it's, it's a fear of yourself. It's not like, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Not like, oh, you're afraid of heights. So don't go up high. You're afraid of spiders. Don't, mm -hmm. you know, you can kill it. But like with yeah. vomit, it's like you're constantly just afraid of your own body and what am I putting mm -hmm. into it? It's going to make me sick. So over time, I have realized that just general anxiety is not the kind of therapist that or therapy that I need. So mm -hmm. I looked into EMDR and I just Googled in Virginia because I think you have to stay in your mm -hmm. state. Um, I just Googled EMDR therapy and phobias and I finally found one. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. One therapist and she's been great so far. Um, so we're, mm -hmm. I can't, it's eye movement. Do you know the rest of it? Yeah. Um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's been great where you follow the ball back and forth while you mm -hmm. go through a memory. And there is a specific memory after I got back from Haiti that constantly triggers me where it was, basically mm -hmm. me the image is me over the toilet and gagging basically yeah and so I tell her all the details and then she has me think about that while I follow the ball back and forth and basically it took three weeks for me to finally have no anxiety 
towards that memory, that specific memory. And now we have started the reprocessing is I can handle it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the next time I start feeling panicky, we're trying to put in my mind, I can handle it. I can handle it. You know, right. yeah, I'm not, this isn't going to kill me. And honestly, my fear is not death. My fear is throwing up. And I always joke, like I'd rather die. Right. Yeah, I know a lot because that's what you're telling me logically, right? Mm-hmm. But your amygdala doesn't have that option because right. it's only there to tell you when you're going to die or not going to die. So it feels like you're going to die, even though you know you aren't. It's just, it took me 30, uh, probably 40 years to figure that out, that that's why it's so frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it feels like you're dying. It feels like yeah. you're dying, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, uh, you know, people like just, just trying a few little things to help during a a panic attack that gets that bad is is not all that helpful. EMDR, I had EMDR. I really loved it. I found that it was very helpful to me for getting at the source, the sort of what caused my phobia and how how important certain events were for me that I didn't think were. Um, and a few other things. I still had the phobic response, though. You know, it didn't help with that. So that I had to do exposure and and response prevention for that, and that's what ultimately worked. But um, EMDR is it, it it can be really quite helpful. So mm-hmm. hang in there. Um, yeah. It's it's been great talking with you. Thank you for you know opening up about everything that's happened with you, mm-hmm. and um, I hope that you in the future don't have any more panic attacks and you can you know, just um, work your way through your anxiety by, because you you can handle it. You can handle throwing up. You can cope with it. Um, Nobody nobody ever doesn't. You live, you're fine. You're okay the next day. Worst thing that can happen is you're terrified. And I think that's what we don't want. That's why we avoid it. We don't want to be that scared, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really that we don't want to vomit, although we think it's that. Am I being clear? Yeah, it's that we don't want to have the horror and the terror that goes along with throwing up. Yeah. Um, but honestly, yes, we can we can all cope with it. So good for you. Great meeting you. Um, yeah, you take too. care, and I hope it gets warmer soon. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so thank you to Kat and to everyone who's listening every week as well. You probably notice I'm having some technical difficulties. That's because I got a cool new microphone and a cool new audio interface. And I do not know yet how to exactly set it all up properly. That's kind of a learning curve. But I do like learning stuff, even at my age. Um, So it should straighten out a little bit better. Um, There are some costs associated with the podcast, not counting my microphone and brand new audio interface, uh, but uh, monthly costs to hosting it and 
uh, recording it um, remotely with people. So if you'd like to contribute, if you enjoy the podcast, you can scroll down to the bottom of the notes and says support the show. And you can click and buy me a coffee, which is basically uh, $5 or you know, half that much in British pounds. Um, and if you'd, if you'd like to, every little bit helps every single person who's bought me coffee. I really appreciate it. I also encourage people to go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org. It has a ton of information for both emetophobics and resources for therapists, all completely free. You don't need to sign up. You don't need to put in your email There are no ads on the site. So hopefully back with you again next week. Meantime, I've been saying stay safe and wear masks and social distance and wash your hands and get your vaccine and all that for, I don't know, two years. So I'm going to stop it now. (laughs) So do take care of yourself and try to enjoy life now that we seem to have this epidemic, pandemic at least, under control.